Good morning. We, uh, as that video says, we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church. It's a beautiful fall morning here in New Jersey, and it's a, it's an awesome day. We got some incredible things, awesome things planned for the entire day. It's a, a wanna kickoff. It's youth kickoff for our new season uh, later today. So we've got a, a lot of exciting things planned. But for right now, we're gonna stay. We, I invite you to stand. Uh, we're gonna take a few minutes and we'll sing some choruses. In, in recognition and in worship to, to God. And then we, I have a, uh, a message plan later. But for right now, we're going to pray. We're going to read some scripture and we'll recite our creed, which is our declaration of exactly what we believe. And so uh, from Psalm 149, I'm going to read from here instead of from back there, but you can read along on the screen with me. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the, uh, in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let him pray, let them praise his name with dancing, make music to him with timbrel and harp, for the Lord delights in his people. Uh, he crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing joy on their, uh, sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the people to bind their kings with fetters their nobles shackles of iron to carry out the sentence written against them it is the glory of all his faithful people praise the lord we're going to do that this morning we're going to praise the lord so would you pray with me this morning god thank you so much for how much you love us that you walk with us that scripture teaches us that we can delight and we can take pleasure and we can take confidence that you are with us and so as we we go as we go through today i pray that you your presence would be manifest here that we would feel and be affected by your love and that you would be honored by everything we say and do in your name we pray amen we're going to recite the creed this morning and uh i encourage you to to say this with me i believe in god the father almighty the maker of heaven and earth And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In Christ's universal church the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. Good morning, everyone. As I was preparing this first song, my mind went to the Passion of Christ and those graphic images of Thursday night into Friday afternoon. And I thought to myself, is there anything else that I could do to make that better, to make it more effective? And of course, the answer is no. There's there's nothing I could do to make that better or more effective because his grace is enough. His grace is enough. Your faithfulness, oh God. 
we're going to keep worshiping, so continue to stand and worship as the team plays. But we are opening the altars this morning. If you need prayer, if you need something in your life to move, we invite you to the altar just to receive prayer from our team. But continue to worship as we do that. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever trust in. You are the one that will never be shaken. Lord God, everything else in our world seems to be rattled and confused and shaken at times, Lord God, but I thank you that you are the God that doesn't change, that doesn't cower in fear, that is in complete control when everything seems to be out of control. God, I praise you for you are worthy of all of our praise. Your favor lasts a lifetime, and you turn our mourning into dancing, our weeping into joy, 
And God, you keep us from falling into the pit, Lord. But some of us feel like we're at the edge. Lord God, I pray that you would meet us where we're at. Lord God, and that you would show us that we are seen by you. Lord God, for those that say, I'm tired of this season of mourning. Lord God, I pray that you would just fill them with the joy where they are at. Lord God, and that as you are immovable, I pray that the posts, the strongholds, the things in our life that need to shift, that you would shift what seems like it's impossible to move. God, we cry out to you, Lord God, for life, for healing, for hope. And I pray for those that are here today and those that are watching online. Lord God, for those that need joy in their life, Lord God, for it is only a joy that you give, one that is lasting and satisfying. God, I pray that our pursuit of you would dominate any other distraction that is thrown at us, God, and that the pursuit of you would grow each day in our hearts. Lord, that we would love you more, that we would see your hand in our lives, even when things are looking bleak and dim and not the way we want. I pray, Lord, for those that have anger and despair, Lord God, that we would be transformed and help us, God, as your people to put on the whole armor of God, that we would be a body and a people that fight, Lord God, that we don't just take what life throws at us, but we fight on our knees for our community, for our marriages, for our kids and our families, for your church. Lord God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be shown and manifest today here. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray for miracles abounding, Lord. I pray peace overtaking and lives of freedom. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Take a moment and greet somebody here today that you have never met before. Well, good morning again. It's nice to have you all here and nice to have those of you joining online, joining us as well. If you are new here, if this is one of your first couple weeks, hopefully someone greeted you when you walked in, but there is a gift for you if you'd like to go over to the Information Center after service. Um, Pastor Jerry will meet you there and welcome you again, so we would love for you to do that. There's a few things coming up that we want to make you aware of. This Saturday, September 16th, um, Men's Group is having a special event. Jerry Palmieri, who was the strength and conditioning coach for the New York Giants, will be here speaking to us. So if you are interested, we hope you are interested in coming, guys. And if you are, please sign up so we can prepare for how many people will be there. If you're planning to invite a friend, just write their name down too. 
be sure they're coming with you. Um, there's a sign-up sheet at the Information Center. You can also scan the QR code in your bulletin um, so you can let the office and Pastor Jason know that you will be there. And the other instruction is wear your team stuff. So your whatever football team you support, wear their jersey, wear their hat, whatever, and um, that will be a great time of fellowship and information um, and probably a testimony waiting for you on Saturday morning. Also coming up today, we are ready. So it is time for Awana to kick off again. So yeah, thanks, Dave. <laughs> thanks. Um, your leaders are ready. We have lots of kids signed up. If you have kids ages 3 through 6th grade, um, just come. You don't even have to register ahead of time. We would love for you to register ahead of time, but just come. See what we're about today at 4 o'clock. We'll be welcoming kids in the cafe, and we'll be here till 6 o'clock doing games, handbook time, um, Bible stories. Um, we would love for you to be a part of that. And at the same time, youth will be welcoming kids um, up at the Family Fellowship Center. So if you have a teen in 7th through 12th grade, um, Gary and his team will be up there waiting for you. We would love to see you today because it is September, so it's time to get back into the things, and it is our joy um, to serve your kids and serve your teens. So it brings us joy to be back doing what we love. All right, a couple other things. We are also, you've been hearing this for a while, we are running a membership class on September 30th. That's um, 8.30, excuse me, there'll be breakfast for you. And this is another thing we need you to sign up for. So again, you can write down your name with a pen on a piece of paper over at the Information Center, or you can scan the QR code in your bulletin so you can let Pastor, know, Jerry, uh, Pastor Jason know that you're interested. Um, and, that you, and even if you're not sure and would like a little bit more information, sign up, say you'd like a call, um, and they can make that happen for you. Okay, and finally, as we talk about um, the ways that we serve people here and thank you for the ways that you give so we can do the things that we do, uh, one of the things that we subscribe to as a church is called Right Now Media. We've been doing it for many years, and you may have heard about it before, but those of you who are new, this is a free subscription for you. Um, if you subscribe to Right Now Media, there are online Bible studies, there are online kids' stories, there are um, specific um, videos that are made for different topics. It's a wonderful resource, maybe for your family, for devotions, for you personally. Um, if you're interested in a certain topic, there are lots and lots of resources there for you. So we use it as a church, but you are you are able to use it at home um, with your own family. So send an email to the office, and you she will send you a link so that you can get signed up for that as well. Um, and we would love for you to be part of that. There are so many ways that um, we endeavor to serve you as our community, and this is just one of them. So we thank you for your giving. We thank you for your faithfulness, and we thank you that we can open these doors on a rainy day and have this community community to get, excuse me, together. So um, let's continue to worship together as we stand and sing with the team. So as we move into this next song in worship, I wanted to present the scripture that is the basis for my encouragement to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. It is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I'm not sure why it says 19 up there, but it's 16 through 18. Maybe I made a mistake. Anyway, the place we all want to be is in the center of the will of God. And what we find in the center of the will of God is that peace that we all long for in this crazy world. There's, there's, there's no political solution to this crazy world. 
There's no worldly solution to this crazy world. It's found in our God. And I want his peace. If you want his peace, find yourself in the center of God's will. And let's begin today by rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks.
forgotten. I, I thank you that your love does chase us, that your love, that scripture teaches us, that your love is actively pursuing us. It's almost personified in its, its desire to be with us and to be received by us and to bless us. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, walk through this morning, whether uh, we've the, during the worship time that we've just experienced or during the word, that uh, we would experience, be open to, and learn more about your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church. And I want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of your morning with us. As I was putting together that that little sermon bumper this week, I really wanted to start by saying, 10! And then, like, just kidding, but I didn't didn't do it. But for those of you who were with us this morning, this summer, you are happy that it, that you're not hearing the word ten uh, jumping out at you. Uh, I want to thank. I would welcome all of you joining us online this morning too. Thank you so much for being part of this community, and encourage you to uh, enter into the chat as you go through the the message with us. Um, it's important that. Uh, you in, engage each other because church is better when we're together. Church is better when you're here. You make church better this morning and it, from my experience and from all of our experience. So thank you for being here. Um, just wanted to highlight this Saturday with Jerry Balmeri. If you're not a football fan, if you're not a, if you don't have team coach, still come out because he doesn't need giant stuff. He's got enough giant stuff. He knows I'm a Patriots fan, and he knows that I'm wearing Patriots gear on on Saturday. And he, every time I talk to him about the fact that I'm a Patriots fan, he reminds me of his Super Bowl rings that the Giants won when they played against the Patriots, which I don't find funny at all, but he thinks is hilarious. And so, uh, yeah, there too. Yes, that's that's right. That's that's. Sure enough, uh, we're, we're, our family is well aware of it. One time, this is an aside. This isn't even, uh, this is just an aside. One time, uh, my oldest son, who's now in college, my oldest son was uh, playing a baseball game uh, against a team that Tom Coughlin, the old Giants coach, uh, his grandson was on. And his son, his son-in-law, Chris, uh, Tom Coughlin's son-in-law is Chris Snee. He played on the Giants, and he's at the game. It's his son. And after the game, they're in the parking lot, and we're, we're kind of, they're on one side of the parking lot, we're on the other. And I say to James, you know who that is? And uh, Chris kind of hears out of the corner of his, his head. He knows what's going on. He's been through this conversation before, so he's preparing himself to give an autograph to this little kid. And I, uh, I said, James, you know who that is? He goes, no. I said, that's Chris Snee. And uh, Chris kind of waves and says, hello. And James goes, two times. Chris is like, what? Two, two times you cost us the Super Bowl. I'm a P. 
Patriots fan two times. I think that was Chris Snee's most fun fan interaction ever because he got to rub it in the face of that little kid just a little bit. But uh, Saturday is going to be a great morning whether you're a football fan or not. It's an inspirational time. And um, Jerry does a lot of stuff now that he's retired from football. In the football world, he does a lot of stuff with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he's devoted himself to inspiring young people uh, to follow the ways of Jesus. And so I encourage you to be here on Saturday uh, morning. I've got a question for you this morning as we start. What single event that you can think of changed your life forever? Now, I think uh, in our lives we have we have we all, we all have those experiences, and the older we get, the more chances we have for those types of events that are memorable, that are um, maybe anticipated, um, and that are are are, are life changing or direction changing. Uh, there are things like weddings and graduations and childbirths and all the firsts. All of the firsts are like memorable and maybe the last firsts, you know, one of the things I've seen in social media lately is uh, parents whose kid are maybe a senior in high school and it's their last first day of school. And so all of the last firsts are, are somewhat memorable. They're regularly memorable days that we look back on or we watch videos about or we recall through Facebook memories. They are stories that we tell each year to our family around the holidays at family reunions or uh, maybe at the annual fantasy football draft that uh, when you get together with people that you only see once a year and you tell the same stories. Those are special days, but that, that's not the exact type of experience I'm talking about. I'm talking about the shocking days, the sometimes good shocks or the sometimes tough ones. that leave an impression, that make us think, that cause us to change the way we think about something or our life. I'm not sure if you've had a day like that, but some of us have, and I'm guessing maybe you're thinking about what that might be right now. And as you think about it, let me ask you, what did you learn? How did that event change you? What do you do now that you didn't do before? Or what have you stopped doing that you used to do before? The Apostle Paul had one of those experiences, and we read about it in Acts chapter 9. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about this experience that Paul had on, the ro- on a Roman road as he was going to Damascus. And this morning we're going to talk about how Paul, in this experience he had with Jesus, it's the risen Jesus that he experiences on the road to Damascus, we're going to talk about how that changed Paul's purpose. And so let's read from Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, starts with, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Just for a second. Saul, reference there in the first line, which is somewhat easier to read on some projectors than others. Saul and Paul, they're the same person. For the sake of this conversation. In Acts, it actually, there comes to a point where it changes his name from Saul to Paul. And because I study, study Paul so much, I will call him Paul, even though at this point in his life, he goes by Saul. So just to clarify, it says he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found any there who belonged to the way. 
whether men or women, he might make them prisoners to Jerusalem. He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling around Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Okay, full disclosure, we have the benefit of knowing how this story plays out. Um, And my notes keep popping up with a keyboard, so forgive me. We have the benefit of knowing how this story plays out. Uh, we know what happens as a, as a result of this experience. Saul becomes Paul and becomes a major voice in the development of the first century church. He pens letters to cities and churches in those cities that influ- that, uh, the, in the cities that he influences that become the basis of the teaching for the church in perpetuity. This guy, we're still talking about him. He's famous. He's not known as Saul or Paul anymore. In certain areas, he's St. Paul. This is the guy who wrote more of the New Testament than anything else. But on the day he was walking on a Roman road to persecute people who were followers of Jesus, he wasn't any of that. He was a person who was on a mission. It's an incredible story. Paul met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Jesus, the risen Messiah, appeared to him in the middle of what was likely just an ordinary day in the life of a pharisaical zealot. It was just a regular day for him. He was going after the things he cared about. He's going about his business, and he's doing his absolute best to do what he thinks he should be doing. He would eventually discuss his accolades in in a a later letter in Philippians chapter 3. It says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And when Paul writes this, he's come to Christ. He's already had this experience. It's years later, but he's looking back on the early part of his life. Really, everything before the day that we're talking about happened. And he's talking about how... Good he was. You think you got it good. You think you set yourself up. I've set myself, I set myself up more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's saying, listen, I was everything one was supposed to be and what I thought we were supposed to be going after. And I realize that's on this day, on that road, well, it's not that road, but a road that looked just like that. Everything for Paul changes. Luke provides a, Luke who wrote the book of Acts provides a brief description of the encounter that would change Paul's life. 
But over the next few weeks, as I said before, I want to dive deeper into the Damascus Road experience to discover what Paul learned from the risen Jesus. And, that we, and, what, and then explore what we can glean from those lessons. But before we get there, let me ask you again. Or let me ask you, what's the most important lesson you've ever been taught? What's the most important lesson you've ever been taught? And who taught it to you? If you're like me... There are so many lessons. I'm not sure what the most significant lesson was. But as I thought about it this week, I thought of one significant lesson that happened to me in 2019. I was working uh, at a church in West Orange. Um, we were launching a campus, and um, I had just gotten to that church, and um, this was pre-COVID. And the pastoral team at that church would write daily devotionals for their for their church. And so as someone new to the team, I, I said, I'll, I'll help, I'll help out with that. And the person I was writing them with, uh, his, his name is Christian and Christian, uh, was, uh, although he would not admit this, he was a scholar, a biblical scholar. He had, at the time he had just finished his master's in, in apologetics from a school in California. And Christian is maybe the most uh, red person I've ever really worked with. And, uh, he claims he's not, to this day, he claims he's not a scholar because he doesn't have his PhD yet. He's working on his PhD in England right now, but he doesn't have it yet, so he's not a scholar. And speaking of getting your PhD, Walter got his PhD this week. He successfully defended his, his dissertation this week, and that, that's tremendously exciting. Congratulations. My friend Christian hasn't gotten there yet, so in his mind, he's not a scholar. But uh, Christian, so when Christian and I started working on these things, I quickly learned that his level of expectation on how to write a devotional was much higher than anything I had ever experienced. There was way deeper study involved. And I learned by working through Christian to read and to love to read. And I love to read now. If the pre, if teenage Jason showed up right now and heard the older version of him talking about how much he loves to read, he would be astonished and say, what has happened to you? And I know that, I know that's almost the exact words he would use, because in my house, when my son, one of them, I'm not going to name which one, walks through a room and sees me reading, he says to me, why do you read so much? How could you love to read? I love to read now. And so this lesson, this, this experience with Christian taught me the value of depth in biblical studies and to grow and to read and to read people who I disagree with and to read people I've never heard of and to read all these different viewpoints so that it becomes almost the, the subject you're looking at almost becomes like a diamond and it has so many different reflections because you've read it from so many different angles and that has been so valuable to me as I have grown in my ministry, in my personal life, in, in so many aspects of my life. I'm a different person because I've learned to love to read. I'm not saying, I don't know that that's the most important lesson that I've ever had in my life, but I do know that that's an influential, an influential 
lesson that I experienced. Paul learns on the, Paul on the road to Damascus meets Jesus. And through the course of a conversation that we're going to talk about for the next several weeks, learns incredible things about his perspective in life. And Paul discovers his purpose when he met Jesus. Paul was a purposeful person. He didn't do things by happenstance. In his mind, he already had a purpose. Paul was a zealous Jew. That's in his words. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a zealous Jew? Well, uh, one biblical scholar named uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. When, when we attempt to explain Paul's mindset on the road to Damascus, there are two things that are, we have to understand our intention. First, the first intention is that uh, the people of Israel, the, um, the Jewish people are, uh, are, have been designed by God to be distinct to the rest of the world. And they're, they're God's special people. And they have a special closeness to God that they have to maintain. And Paul believes this devoutly. And he's a Pharisee. And if you've grown up in church and you've been around the church for a while, you may understand that Pharisees have a really bad reputation. They're the bad guys in the New Testament story, at least in the Gospels, right? They're, they're the people who persecute Jesus. They're the people who try him and, and take him before the Romans. And, and in many ways, the Pharisees seem to be the bad guys. And Paul is a Pharisee. And so he's the bad guy. But the reality is, the truth of it is, when you pull it back, Pharisees didn't think they were bad guys. Do you know anybody that you completely disagree with to the point that you think they're a bad person? We live in the world where this becomes more and more common, when, especially with politics. If people disagree with us politically, we don't only think that they're not right, we think they're bad people. Well, when we read the Bible, there's a sense that you can read about Pharisees and think they're bad people. They're the bad guys. Well, they didn't know they were the bad guys. Pharisees thought they were the good guys. You see, they had this opinion that God had this special uh, anointing or special purpose of Israel, but it could only happen. God could only really work in Israel to be separate because God wants to make, to bless Israel. And he wants to bless the world through them. And the Pharisees believed that the only way they could get to that goal was to purify Israel. All God could only work through a pure Israel. That was the pharisaical view. And so they wanted to create a pure Israel. And so Paul sees a bunch of people doing it wrong. They're following this Jesus guy. That's not going to create purity in his mind. His understanding of an Old Testament purity in the law talked about uh, a cursed man is hung on a tree. That's what the Old Testament talks about. And so he hears this story of Jesus and he says, that's not the Messiah, that's a cursed man. And we can't have people following a cursed man if we want to be pure in Israel. And if we want to be everything that God promised us to be, we got to eradicate them. And so the Pharisees go about this business of trying to get everybody to be better behaved. That's the Jason version of that story. 
And so we look at the Pharisees and those of us who've grown up at church, those of us who've been around for a while, we think that's a bad, those are bad guys. They weren't bad guys. They were devout, devoted people just that missed the truth. And so Paul's going about his day doing the very best he can do. He thinks he's honoring God in what he's doing. And Jesus appears to him. Not an angel. There are biblical experiences where angels appear to people. But on this day, Jesus comes himself. And on the road to Damascus, he appears to Paul. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And everything in Paul's life changes in that moment. In Saul's mind, that before this experience, if you didn't try to pursue holiness, if you didn't try to pursue perfection in the law, you opened your door yourself to really be accepting bad behavior. And so that so he's trying to be better. This is not a Paul thing. This has happened throughout history. This isn't in the Bible, but in 2 Maccabees, there's a story. You, we all know the story somewhat because it's the story of Hanukkah. But the, the story of Hanukkah, the reason they're hanging out, the, these Jewish people were hanging out in the temple is because they were being attacked by outside forces. And to be attacked by outside forces who would, they, they desperately wanted to protect the temple from being subjected to unholy people. And they got one day of oil. And they're not there only to just have a story that we'd be, that Jewish people would be celebrating thousands of years later. They're there to consecrate or to keep the temple holy. They're devout in their beliefs. Throughout history, this is a thing. And then Jesus comes and causes people to see that the Old Testament is talking about more than just a physical nation. It's talking about how God wants to come and experience us individually and collectively on a personal level. And that doesn't make sense to Paul. And so Jesus, because he was crucified, cannot be the Messiah. And Jesus shows up to him. And when that happens, when he meets Jesus, it transforms his mission. Remember, this was a fanatical person. He was, Paul was obsessed with fixing Israel's problems. He was a man on a mission. But this revelation about Jesus causes major changes in Saul's heart and mind. And so let's go on reading uh, further in Acts 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, said, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on straight street and asked for a man from Tarshish named Saul for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this guy and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, And then he says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and once again, oh, sorry, going to have to fix that setting. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. Paul now discovers his God-given purpose and his mission has changed. He had a mission, but it's changed. It's gone from persecuting the church to proclaiming or promotion of Christ. He's gone from destroying, attempting to destroy the church to promoting the church. And he's gone from saying the church is evil to I'm part of this. This is the right way. Let's go with it. His mission changes. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it defined his message. We often refer to that message, to Paul's message. We think about the message of Jesus, the message that's preached. What do we call that? The gospel. We think about that as the gospel. Paul immediately begins to preach the gospel. Gospel is a, is a translation of a Greek word. The Greek word is euangelios, good news. Paul preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the son of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, he would later define what the, what he, the gospel he preaches is. We talked about it this morning when we said the creed. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15, that the, the, the good news, the gospel that he preaches, that Christ lived, died, rose again, appeared to the disciples, ascended into heaven. Can we, I, I didn't give you a clue on this. Can we pull up the first slide of the creed this morning? We talked about this. This is the gospel. We have in the New Testament the four Gospels. They're the stories of Jesus' life. The good news, the Gospel, the thing that brings hope and safety and security to humanity is Jesus. The Gospel is the story of Jesus. Paul is preaching Jesus. We hear the Gospel and we think so many different words. We've We've been trained to think that the Gospel is so many different things. Some of us have been told that the gospel is the thing that gets us to heaven. It is. Jesus defines his, his, the gospel in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the gospel is not that just we would live forever. If we look at this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And then, come, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So when we get to, and Jesus Christ, uh, his, uh, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that's part of the gospel. And then there's a comma. And that's the most significant comma in the history of humanity. Because it goes on, comma, born of the Virgin Mary, comma. That comma represents everything we talk about in the life of Jesus. He's born of a virgin and he suffers under, uh, under Pontius Pilate. In that comma is the hope of the world. 
Because Jesus didn't just come and die. He came, he lived, he dwelt among us. He dies, he rose again, he ascended. All of that matters, all of that happened. All of that is the gospel that Paul says, this is what I'm preaching. If anything was removed from that, if, if Jesus just dies, it's not the gospel. But if Jesus didn't live, it's so important to understand that when Jesus in the garden prays, God, if there's any way this could pass from me, however, not my will, your will. You know what that means? Jesus was human. He understood what it was to not want to do something that was right. He understood what it was to say, that's going to hurt. I have a big pile of fill in my backyard. It filled a pond that we had that just kept leaking. I inaccurately measured the amount of fill that we needed to fill the pond. I got more than I needed, which is better than getting less than you needed. But now there's a heaping mound of dirt in our backyard. It's all rock. And you know what? I don't want to move it. Because it's not going to be fun. I am in no way associating my need to move that hill to Jesus's prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus understood what it was to not have things go rosy for you every day. His life is important. It's part of the gospel story. Jesus was born. He lived. He died. And you know what? He rose again. And then he ascends to heaven. All of that, all of that, that, that's our gospel. And because of that, we have hope. And that's what Paul's preaching. His message changes. His message goes from, this is bad, to this is the only thing you should hope on. In that moment, Paul learns so much about what he had had incorrect. And it creates a shift in his motivation. It adjusts his motivation. In Philippians 3, it goes on to say, but whatever this is before, where Paul was talking about, this is connected to where Paul's talking about how good he had it before, how good his resume was, if you will. He goes on to say, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He had said earlier in this chapter, as for righteousness, I was faultless. This guy's saying, I'm pretty good. And three verses later, he says, that's worthless to me because what Jesus offers is better than my perfection. But that which is faith through Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul changes everything. He's trying to kill people. And now he says, I want to live almost to the point of death so that I can honor Jesus. 
it changes his motivation. This was a motivated guy. And it adjusts what he knows, what he believes. And this event created a shift in his priorities. Paul, if you study his biography, if you study his resume, you know Paul had been about promotion and power. Um, his devotion to the recreating of a pure Israel had garnered him a growing reputation. He was a young guy that people were like, that guy's, that guy's got it. He's on a mission. Hook your wagon, hitch your wagon to that guy because he's going somewhere. And now all of those things that were once priorities are, are no longer of any importance to Paul. Because he swings from one extreme to another. Paul is an extremist. You don't get to get the reputation he had by being just run-of-the-mill guy. Paul, whatever he talked about, whatever he believed, whatever he was going after, he was all in. He's all in persecuting the church. And then all of a sudden, he's all in to being part of the church. Paul was not a disciple of Mr. Miyagi. He didn't care about balance. He was passionate. He comes to a place where he wants to know Jesus, the man he met on the road. And he comes to a point where he wants to tell as many people as possible about the life that Jesus offers. Total transformation. The first thing that Paul learned in his experience with Jesus is his new purpose. His purpose is to tell the world about them. Jesus would tell Ananias, and I think I'm stepping on something in a minute, but Jesus would tell Ananias, this is the guy I've chosen to be my voice to the Roman world. That's a big purpose. And so... This morning, I want to offer a couple of takeaways, things we can learn from Paul's purpose. First, first thing I want to tell you is that no one is exempt from a God-given purpose. Paul had every reason to be exempt. Paul had every reason to have positioned himself as unacceptable to God. But Jesus offers everybody a chance. It's so important to Jesus to offer Paul a second chance that he appears to him himself. We live in a world where we know what it means to earn something. Right from the very early part of our our existence, our development, our independence, things are earned. In school, our grades are earned. At home, our independence is earned. Our trust in relationship is earned. Our finances, our money is earned. We live in a you got to earn it society. That's not the society that Jesus promotes. We didn't do anything to earn Jesus' love, and yet he offers it freely. 
We didn't do anything to earn Jesus' forgiveness, and yet he offers it freely. We didn't do anything to position ourselves to be his image in the world, and yet that's what he's called us to do. Jesus, we don't have to earn it. It's ours. It's freely given. His love is there. And so if you've come to a place where you're like, I've done too much wrong. I hear that. And I know that there are relationships in your life that that's true. You've had people tell you that. What you did is unforgivable. You've experienced that. We, we, bring, we come to that place because we see that in our world. And it's sometimes hard to believe that that's not the way God wants to interact with us. Everything we've learned says it's something else. And Jesus says, I don't care what you learned. Let me show you a new way. There's nothing you can do that would invalidate you from me. Every, no one is exempt from a God-given purpose. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You are created for a purpose. You were created for such a time as this. God has a desire to work in and through each one of us. Doesn't matter what our past has done. Second, God's purpose comes with a provision. See, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. And Paul has this vision. He sees Jesus. The rest of the people around him, they just hear voices out of nowhere. That's got to be a weird thing. Imagine being one of the guys or girls with Paul. And you're on the road, and you just start hearing a voice out of nowhere. This picture, this picture is a picture of a Roman road. It's actually, this is not the road that Paul was on. This is in Laodicea. I took this picture earlier this year. And um, imagine being on that road and then seemingly from one of those pillars, you just start hearing a voice. That's freaky. But Paul, he's on the road and he, he sees Jesus. And he has this experience with him and they talk. We don't know everything about what that conversation was. But at the end of the conversation, the irony of him seeing Jesus is when he's done seeing Jesus, he's blind. He loses his sight. Now what? Now you're just a blind guy. But his friends pick him up and they walk him into Damascus. But in Damascus, Jesus is preparing for Paul. He's getting his hospitality taken care of. Ananias, I want you to go see this guy. Take care of him. Pray for him. He'll be healed. Sometimes God leads us into a place where we don't understand. God maybe has given you a purpose. Maybe God has given you a dream. Maybe God has given you a vision, but you don't understand how it's accomplishable. Maybe you don't have the money. 
Maybe you don't have the physical ability. God calls Moses to be his voice into Israel and into world and to Egypt. Moses as a stutter. God's not surprised by Moses' stutter. God's not surprised by Paul's blindness. God's not surprised by your inability to do what you think God called you to do. He gives you the provision to do it. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. When God gives you a dream, chase it. Go after it. Believe in it. Don't believe in yourself to accomplish it. The transaction doesn't end with God saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. Now go do it. God says, here's what I want you to do. Now go do it with me powering you. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit the whole thing gets accomplished anyway. His purpose comes with provision. Third, God's purpose does not promise an easy life. Now that would be a fun thing to be up here and say. If you come to Christ, if you live out his purpose, nothing bad will ever happen. That's not the world we live in. We live in a fallen world. And Paul, at the end of Philippians, goes on in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living with plenty or in want. When you walk in the purposes of Jesus, you may have times where you're hungry and you may have times where you're well-fed. You may have times where you're in need and you're in times where you have plenty. What you always have is the presence of the Holy Spirit empowering you. There's no easy life guaranteed in the Christian walk. In fact, several New Testament parts of Scripture, and we're going to talk about this in October, talk about how we should suffer with Christ. Well, there's a fun one. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a, you won't ever have to deal with cancer. You might. You won't ever have to deal with family strife you might you won't ever have to deal with poverty you might you won't ever have to deal with fill in the blank you might you won't ever have to deal with that you might the pro- the thing of it is the promise of it is is that when you deal with it you deal with him with Christ with you here's the pro- here's the thing you don't ever have to deal with them alone again last God's purpose for you is part of a larger story. God, Paul was God instrument, was God's instrument. He would say, he would say to Ananias, "This is the person I've chosen to speak to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel." It wasn't Paul's story he was telling. Paul is part of a bigger story. You are part of a bigger story. We want to be the star of our own stories. We do. There's not a week that goes by that I don't think about look, being up here and preaching and not being able to see any orange. Not that I dislike orange. I just dream about this church being full. 
And I can, I can, I can justify that as it's the work of God. But it's also, I want to, I want to be popular. I want to be the story sometimes. So do you. We're part of a bigger story than any of us. God uses us as instrument in his story, for his glory, for his purposes. Your purpose is to be part of God's purpose. Paul would go on in that next verse in Philippians 4 to say, it says, whether if well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want, I can do all through Christ. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. It's Christ's story. It's Christ's strength working through you that guides you in that story. You may never, you may never be riding down a road that looks like that on the back of a donkey and be pushed off and and meet the risen Jesus on a road. Probably not going to happen to you. Never happened to me. But we can experience the Holy Spirit empowering us to advance the good news to the world. He's given you the Holy Spirit. It's ours. It empowers us to work in his strength. That's the gospel. Jesus lived was born, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding for you, and you, and you, and you, and every one of us in here. And also, every one of those people out there. Whether they're at a different church this morning, or they're not in the church this morning, whether they've heard about Jesus and don't want any part of them, or they've never heard about Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for them this morning. And he's saying, you're, my, you're the instrument I want to go and use to teach them about how much I love them. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, Lord, I don't expect to ever be knocked off a donkey in engaging you on a road, but I do so long to experience your presence. God, I pray that our our purpose would be found in your purpose for us, just as Paul learned, and that you would use us as instruments to tell your story to a lost world. In your name we pray, amen. I'm gonna invite uh, Doc and Pastor Jerry to come forward. They're gonna serve us communion this morning. And uh, if you're new with us, we, we share communion each week and you don't have to be a member of this church to participate. But we do ask you to come forward. You can stand and come forward to the to the people presenting the the elements and take those back to your seat. If you're here this morning and you're not able to make your way forward, we will uh, have someone bring them to you. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine He's been mine
Before Jesus, on the night Jesus was betrayed, before this happens, he sits down to supper with his disciples and he takes the bread and he breaks it. And quite frankly, in a way that probably freaked them out because they didn't understand what was about to happen, he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat this meal, because I won't be here next year. And he had given veiled references to he was leaving them, and they didn't totally understand it. But he says, next year I won't be here. When you eat this meal, remember me. They didn't know that just a couple days later, he'd be hanging on a tree. And then they really didn't know that a couple days after that, he'd be back with them. But he said the bread was his body broken for them. That body was broken for us too. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice that you made. The one that quite honestly you said I'd rather not do. God, I thank you that that is enough. That your work on the cross is enough. It's enough to cover my sin. It's enough to cover my despair, to my faults, to my errors. It's enough to bring right relationship between us. It's enough for me to be able to say, I love you. I receive your love. Amen. Would you take the bread with me? First First Corinthians goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, they didn't really understand what he was talking about. They would have a better understanding in about 36 hours later. But Jesus' blood creates a pathway of purity for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I don't have to earn anything anymore. 
and that your gift is free to me. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you drink the cup? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? My prayer for you is simply this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Jesus, we've talked this morning about you have a purpose for each one of us. I pray that we would be open to receiving your love and your purpose. And that you would use us as your instruments in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We will see you next week. Thank you so much.